pray together. Lord God, I know in a room this vast, there are many who are hurting, that have some hangups, relationally speaking, relationship with you, relationship with themselves, relationship with another person. Lord, in this room, there, there's pain, there are problems. And so, Lord, we need you. You are the answer at every turn. And so I ask right now, Lord God, that you would keep your promise. And that, that promise is that you would, you would produce through your word exactly what you intended for that word to do. And so I ask, Lord God, that, that you would do a work right now as your word is preached. And, and I would say to you, Lord, let, let the words of my, ma- my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We are, as a church, anticipating the rapture. We're looking forward to it. We, we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ, and we're living in light of it. We, we hope to see him soon. And until he comes, we are going to live understanding what's next. We know that judgment is next. We know that eternity is next. And we know that we will be in heaven with our Lord forever. And so we're living for that moment. We're living in light of that. But we're also praying. We're praying now in this broken world that what is happening on earth and heaven will be done on earth. And it makes no sense to pray that prayer if we're not going to be the answer to it. Are you praying what we just prayed? Look at this. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that prayer. It's the Lord's prayer. Probably you know it. You just read it. Do you believe it? Do you pray it? If you're praying it, it only makes sense that you would do it. If we're going to pray the Lord's prayer, Lord, do what what is happening in heaven here on earth, it seems that, that the only practical response would be for, for our lives to say, God, we're going to do that. We're going to be the answer to that prayer. Here's what I know that is happening in our world today, in our city. People that you and I know, they don't have peace and they're hurting and they're scared. You and I both know, we all know people right now who are sleeping it off right now and some that are up and they're, they're sitting and they're looking at a screen TV, computer, something, and they're looking for answers. They're looking for something that will satisfy their heart, their longings, whatever it is, God, that, that they've got around them right now. Here's what we know. We know only God can satisfy what's going on in them. And they need to know what we know. Some of you here today, you need to know what, what it is the scripture teaches. And my prayer is that, that you will see it today. My, my prayers, you've heard it already in Carol's testimony and the songs that have been sung and the ordinance that we, that we celebrated. I'm also hoping that you that are members like me of Living Hope here, that we understand how important it is that we be a healthy church. There is a broken world that is in desperate need of truth and grace and love and hope. And when we choose to live hopeful and be helpful, we're making a bigger difference than we can imagine. There are families that are falling apart. There are people who have doubts. There are those who cannot, who cannot see beyond their next meal or next hit or next moment, whatever it is that they think is going to get them through. And, and they need to know that there is a truth, that there is a God who loves them, and there's a safe place that they can go. We've got to be that safe place. And our scripture today shows us what it looks like when we are. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here, 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Timothy, uh, Paul is, is, is writing uh, a word about what it means to be the kind of healthy church that God can use. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Luke Ryan is going to come, Luke, if you would, and he's going to read our scripture for today. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He's going to read for us 12, verses 12 through 15. Luke, if you would, read that for us, buddy. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The word of God. Well done, Luke. If you would, go ahead and be seated. If only everyone could punctuate their reading properly. Well done, Luke. Got to remember, these are the final instructions of the Apostle Paul to this new fledgling church. This church that Paul is writing to, it's just a baby. It's just launched out. It's not like Living Hope. It's a, it, it's a new church. You know, this summer we're going to celebrate our 40th birthday. This, this congregation is just a matter of months old. And so he's writing these final instructions. He's telling them what they need to be doing in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come, the fact that the rapture is near. And that's what we see, but we, we need to understand uh, where this, this whole line of thinking that we're going to look at today, where it comes from. Go back to verse 11. This is where we ended last week. I want to start here this week. In verse 11, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And what he's saying is you need to plan to do good. And one of the best things any of us can do is be an encouragement by the things that we do. And that's what we see in our text today is how we can be the encouragement that God wants us to be as members of his family to help produce a a church that is healthy, that can lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus Christ so they can have the hope that can truly set them free. There's four things I want us to see in our text today. And I want to encourage you to take notes as we, as we look at the things we need to, to plan to do. The first one is this. Be an encouragement by respecting the leaders of the church. Respect those, he says in verse 12, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in, in love because of their work. Again, this is, a, this is a baby church. This is a new church. And yet the Holy Spirit is already raising up leaders to lead the church. This church is, is not that old. And yet what is happening then, what happened then is what always happens, is God raises up leaders to lead his people. That's the way it always is. And and leadership is difficult. Understand, let me give you four words to, to describe leadership. The first word is responsibility. At the end of the day, leadership is responsibility. When we ordain and license leaders in our church, officers, elders, when we, when we appoint and, and affirm trustees and personnel and, and when we have deacons who, who are willing to serve, what, what they're in essence doing, friends, when the, someone takes over a, a children's Sunday school class or a small group, what they're saying is, I'll take responsibility. Leadership is responsibility. Second thing is, it's service. It's putting others before you to provide for them. That's what leadership is. It's taking responsibility and then choosing to put others before yourself and serving. And it's emotional. The third word is it's emotional. 
when you're a leader, when you're a leader for Christ, it, it's, it's, it's painful because, because people go through pain. Right now in our church family, there are, there are people that are hurting, some physically, some emotionally, some spiritually, and the leaders feel that pain. There are times when leaders are attacked. Every, every flock has a wolf. There's always wolves around and sometimes inside the church that attack the shepherd, that seek to attack the flock and the shepherd has to defend. And there's always this emotional pain that goes along with it. Leadership, it's, it, it's responsibility, it's service, it, it's emotional. And the last thing is, it's influence. What a leader does will impact those who follow that leader. The decisions that a leader makes are crucial and they weigh heavy on the mind and the heart of that leader because those decisions will always have a ripple effect into the lives and into the families, into the workplaces of those under their care. And so understand that that leadership Leadership is a burden. And so for those who carry that burden, at whatever, at whatever extent it is, we, we need to respect them and we need to, to honor them and, and understand the, the, the biblical reality of leadership. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse seven. Look at this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The same God who raised up and led through and with Moses. The same God who raised up and led through Samuel and King David and all the prophets and the apostles is the same God, Jesus Christ, who raises up leaders today and leads through them. Understand, without Jesus Christ, leadership is always corrupted. That's why government systems always fail. That's why institutions always fail. That's why we cannot put our ultimate trust in government or human institutions. The only hope any of us have is Jesus Christ and his work in the world through his people and the leaders that he raises up and calls. See, God, God's design is right. But we understand that, that we've messed it up and so we need the gospel. Only Jesus Christ can redeem a leader and and only Jesus Christ can redeem leadership. Let me show you what this looks like. God's design is that we live in harmony and that leaders lead with responsibility, with with sacrifice, with emotion, and with, with godly influence. But here's what has happened. There's always sin. Sin in the leader, sin amongst the, the, those who are being led, which leads to brokenness. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ, the gospel, has, has, has taken effect. And now for any leader who will repent and believe, they can pursue and recover God's design. And under the influence and under the, the love and the life of Jesus Christ, a person can lead others, not perfectly, but lead others well for the glory of God and bring hope and bring healing through the truth of God's word. And so we must respect those who are in leadership. It goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, put verse 17 up. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they're keeping watch over your souls. And notice this, as those who will have to give an account, understand that all the elders of this church, all the small group leaders and equipped teachers, all those who oversee children's classes and students and, and any who have influence over anyone else, we will all give an account to God for the work we did. 
We are responsible to God in our roles that we have, we have chosen to accept under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And so those who are in leadership, listen, obey them, submit. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for, for that would be of no advantage to you. And, and I mean that not just in the church, but in every God-ordained place of leadership. Wives, help your husbands, even though they're not perfect, even though they will make mistakes, help them lead you well. Husbands, lead. Wives, help them. Children, help your parents. No, they're not perfect. Yes, they are going to make mistakes. Honor their leadership. Honor the leadership of, of parents in the home, in the church. No, your leaders are not perfect. Yes, we are going to make mistakes. Help us. Help us make this work a joy and pray for us and come alongside and join in what we believe God is doing. If we want to have a, a culture, of, of, a, a church of, of, of shalom, of peace that is healthy so that others can come and learn how to anchor their life and hope in Jesus, it begins here, Second. Be an encouragement by cultivating the culture of the church. And what is the culture of the church meant to be? Look at the last part of verse 13. It says, be at peace among yourselves. It's a culture of peace. And it's one that we have to cultivate cultivate. See, the body of Christ, it's, it's made up of individuals and, and families and groups of families. And we all bring something different. We all have a different perspective and we all sin in different ways and we have problems in different ways. And so, so long as the church or a family or a marriage is going to be made up of people, which that's what it's meant to be by God, there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be conflict in your marriage, in your home, and in your church. Because we are all people and none of us are perfect. You've heard me say this before. If you're a person in a relationship with other people, you're either in conflict, you're getting into conflict, or you're coming out of conflict. Either way, conflict is there. Now, how do we deal with it? We are to deal with it biblically. What does that look like? Let me give you four G's. The first one is this. When you're in conflict, in the midst of that conflict, glorify God. Glorify God in your words. Glorify God in your attitude. Glorify God in your thoughts. In everything in the midst of that conflict, you seek to glorify God. Second, get the log out of your own eye. Remember what Jesus said? You're looking at this little speck in his eye or her eye, and you got this huge log hanging out of your eye. Before you start pointing out what's wrong with everybody else, first acknowledge the fact that you're not perfect. Before you, before you want to talk to someone else about what they've done wrong, before you want to point out something that's not right, first glorify God and say, God, I'm going to bring glory to you. I'm going to honor you with my words and my thoughts and my actions. And secondly, I'm going to take responsibility for my part in this conflict. You, and I, you may be only responsible for one half of 1% of the, of, the, of the thing that's caused this conflict, but you're 100% responsible for your one half of 1%. Take responsibility for it. Get the log out of your own eye. Say, I'm not perfect. Third, very important, this word, gently engage others. Gently. Gently engage others. 
Go with humility. Go with the desire to, to make peace. Go in truth, but with love and grace. Go as Jesus came, with grace and truth. Go gently and then forth, last, go and be reconciled. So the first thing you do when you're in conflict with someone else is you say, God, no matter what, I'm gonna glorify you with my thoughts, my words, and my actions. I'm gonna get the log out of my own eye there. I'm gonna acknowledge what I've done that is wrong. I'm going to gently speak to what has happened and where we are. And then I'm gonna go and be reconciled. Now here's the thing. You're probably, maybe, gonna need help in the process. And that's why I love Living Hope, because Living Hope cares. Living Hope has resources to help you. If you can go, go guys, go ahead and put it up. If you can go to Living Hope Cares any day, seven days a week, and here's what you can do, three things. One is you can ask for prayer support. You can say, hey, I'm having conflict at my workplace, in my marriage, with my child, and whatever it is, and you can know, confidentially, people will be praying for you. If you want others to know, you can, let, you can say, I don't care who knows. If you just want me to know, that's fine. And it will be completely confidential between me and you as your pastor. If you want the elders to know, if you want other staff to know, we can pray for your conflict. The second thing to notice is you may need counseling. The hurt may be so, so deep and, and the burden so heavy that before you can talk to someone else, you really need to talk to a counselor. And that's why we have the, the Hope Center for Biblical Counseling. Some of you, you need to go online today and you need to register and you need to come and talk to one of our biblical counselors. And you need to understand what's going on in your life, where God is at work in that, and you need to seek healing from Christ so that you can go and be reconciled to others. As you go and as you seek to be reconciled with others, you may need help. So click on the care tab and we have peacemakers that can help you. They can coach you. We have people in our congregation who have been trained in peacemaking, trained being well beyond my training. I'll tell you that right now. I, I can help to an extent, but here's typically my help to you. Go see a peacemaker. That's the best way I can help you, all right? We have folks that are thoroughly trained, and here's what they can do. They can help you do the four Gs right. They can help you, coach you through the steps you need to take. And if there's mediation that is necessary, they can help with that too. This, this culture of peace that God demands of us that enables us to be a healthy church, it's not optional. Jesus says over and over again, you've got to forgive, you've got to create peace, you've got to make this right. And that's so important for us as a family of faith. Third, third is this, be an encouragement by engaging the needs of the church. The church, the church is not a building, the church is not, an, it's people, people coming together as a family of faith. And there's always going to be people who are needs. And to ignore the needs of others is to enable them to get worse. And so we must handle each situation, right? And every situation is different. Look what it says in the word here. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. This is what, what seculars call situational leadership. Every situation needs to be handled rightly. Uh, Thomas Weekly is going to be pre preaching over at the chapel at 11 o'clock. Whoever's preaching at the chapel, we, that pastor meets with me every Monday morning after we've studied for a few hours alone. We come together to write the sermon. And then we have others who are training to be pastors actually watch and listen to us prepare the sermon together. This week, Thomas uh, shared a story in how he did not handle a situation right. His, his sweet little girl, uh, whenever she would mow the grass, she would always sing. 
And Thomas had told her to do something before she mowed the grass and she didn't do it. She just forgot it. She was, it wasn't willful disobedience. It just, it just kind of got out of her mind, out of her thought. And, and he went out and he just reamed her. He raised his voice and, and he just came so heavy handed on her. And, and she said, daddy, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. And he's, you know, finished it and he walked away and she started mowing again, but she wasn't singing. Whenever she mows, she always sings. And in that moment, he realized, I just blew it. And so he went and did what any good daddy would do. He went and bought her an icy. (laughs) An icy can cover over a lot of problems. I'm not saying it's the final word, but it helps. I think we need to put icy machines over in the Middle East. I'm just saying I think it would help. Icy's are good things. So he went and got an icy. He brought it back to his little girl. And, and he confessed. He said, sweetheart, I was wrong. Daddy was wrong. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And she said, of course, daddy, and drank her icy. She got back on that lawnmower. Guess what she was doing? She was singing. We're not always going to handle it right. And when we don't handle it right, we need to repent. But a scripture here shows us exactly how we need to handle these situations. Let me show you first what you don't do. Okay, look what the scripture says. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Let me show you what we don't do. You don't admonish the faint-hearted. You don't, you don't correct in a very harsh and direct way the person whose heart is already tender, saying, I- I'm sorry, I'm wrong. You don't just come at them. Sometimes you do this but not to the faint-hearted. Second one, look what you don't do. You don't encourage the idle. Someone's being lazy, don't encourage that. That That's not gonna bless them. Third one, don't don't help the idle. They don't need help, and you don't need to be doing what they're doing. (laughs) Don't help the idle. What do you do? The right way to handle it is you admonish the idle. When I was a sophomore in high school, I, uh, I was outside linebacker. I started outside linebacker as a sophomore, and I thought I was the man. And so we were in the middle of practice one afternoon and it was hot and, and coach said, all right, guys, let's get up, let's go, let's get going. Everybody's up and get going. But I had my ice and I wanted to finish my ice. And so I finished my ice and then I got my helmet on and I was just going to mosey over because I thought I was the man. And as I got my helmet on, I turned around, my head coach was right in my face. He said, Pettis, I don't know who you think you are. At this point, he had grabbed my face mask. I don't know if this has ever happened to you that played ball, but if you ever see someone grab someone else's face mask, you're helpless. And he was jerking me around and he was yelling at me and everything he said was true. The adjectives were unnecessary, but everything else he said was true. And, and you know what he had to do? He had to admonish the idol. There's a place to admonish the idol, but there's also a, a time to encourage the faint-hearted. There's a time to help the weak. You know, one of the things that, that we as parents have to do is we have to determine when's the right way to do that. You know, one of the things I want to ask all of you who are parents and grandparents to do in the next 12 months is this. We offer an equip class called Gospel Parenting. It's, it's taught by one of our pastors. I want to encourage you in the next 12 months to take this course. It, it's, it's, it's almost to the point where I'm, I'm ready just to say it's, it's, it's mandatory because it's so important that we as parents learn how to do what the Bible says. We, we've got to as a church, as a whole, and as we do it, that look at what it says at the last part of verse 14. This has to be the driver. Be patient with them all. As you're, as you're helping the weak, the faint-hearted, the idle, we gotta be patient with them all. And that, that provides the opportunity for us to engage the needs of the church. Last thing I wanna point out to you is this. Be an encouragement by demonstrating the gospel of the church, demonstrating it. 
See that no one repays evil, uh, anyone evil for evil. You know, I have a, you guys have heard me. I'm going to confess this and I don't need you to try to fix me. I just want you to pray for me. I have something that's very wrong with me and I know it's wrong. I like to scare people. All right. I said it. I think it is hilarious to see someone almost pass out from absolute fear. I don't think it's funny when I'm that way, but I think it is, there is nothing funnier in all, in all the world. We watch America's Funniest Videos at our house. Anyone else watch America's Funniest Videos? More of you people should watch this show because you understand what I'm talking about. I watch it in the hopes that someone's gonna be scared to misery because it, and if I ever scare you, please don't get mad because it only makes it funnier. The madder you get, the funnier it is to me. I, I am demented, and I, 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 I found out that I've really, I, my brother is now demented because his wife told me that, that he is because of me. Because I spent my, almost my entire childhood scaring him to death. And it's, there's nothing funny. I once sat and hid in a closet an entire afternoon waiting to scare him. He thought the house was empty. I waited and waited and waited. Finally, he came in. And I jumped out of that closet and said, what are you doing in my house? He fell to the ground. I, I still laugh about this, right? And don't judge me, all right? And, and don't try to fix me, all right? God's doing it. You can pray for me. I had to run. He could never catch me. I, I had to run away from him. Even once my mom got home from work, she said, honey, you can come in. I said, no way, nuh-uh. I had to wait till my father came home. And even then I was scared and he did get me back, but that's for another sermon. But he repaid evil for evil and he was perfectly just in everything he did to me because that was so wrong. Don't send me emails. I know it's wrong. And I took a beating for it. Do you know what Jesus did not do? He did not return wrath for the evil that we've done. Our God is a holy God and we have all sinned. And I know, I know there's in our culture today, I know some of you sitting right here right now. Why do we always have to talk about sin? Because sin is the problem. Here's what, here's what we need to understand, friends. God has loved us and been faithful to us. And every single one of us has cheated on him. Every single one of us has committed spiritual adultery. That's what sin is. It's cheating on the one who loves us. And you know what he has chosen to do? Forgive us. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were sinners, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And, and we have a responsibility, but God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us to forgive us. He chose to forgive us. Friends, forgive others the way Jesus has forgiven you. Don't repay evil for evil. Repay evil with grace, the same way Jesus did it for you. Martin Luther King said it this way. This is so good. Let no man pull you low enough to hate him. Don't let your ex bring you down to the point of hate. Don't let a parent, don't let a boss, don't let your enemy pull you down to the place of hate. Don't let them do it to you. Understand what a lack of forgiveness is. Some of you, you're here right here. You're, you're, you're hearing me talk about forgiveness and the need to forgive. And some of you haven't. Some of you are right now. You're holding back forgiveness. Let me, let me tell you what you're doing. You're drinking poison 
hoping that the other person will get sick. A lack of forgiveness is poison to your soul. And you're withholding forgiveness, hoping that it gets them sick. It's destroying you. Christ commands you and me to forgive others the way he has forgiven us. And when we do, we're free. We are free. It's when we forgive our enemies that we're living as Christ. It's when we forgive our enemies that we live out God's design for our lives. Listen, it's when we forgive our children and our parents and our spouses and our enemies that we're demonstrating the gospel. That is only possible in Christ. Christ shows us the way. Some of you today, you, you're in trouble because you have committed spiritual adultery against God and you are under his judgment and you need to come and ask him for forgiveness today because Jesus has paid for it. Some of you are believers today and you need to forgive someone. I want to ask you today to come and get before God on your knees and say, God, I'm going to forgive them. Give me the strength. Some of you may need to grab the, the hand of someone that's near you. Maybe somebody's on the other side of the room. Some of you may need to leave the room right now and go and find the person that you need to forgive. Grab them by the hand, look them in the eye and say, I forgive you. Or will you forgive me? There needs to be healing and Christ Jesus can do it. And as we live in this grace, and as we honor the leaders that are over us, as we seek to do the good that God's called us to do, we can create a culture where God can be at work and where there can be healing and hope. Friends, it's God's mercy that does it, but we've got to ask and we've got to be willing to do it. I want to invite you today to ask God to forgive you, to enable you to give forgiveness, to enable you to live this life that creates health for his glory and your blessing. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, as we, as we right now, as we sing about your mercy, I pray for some who need today just to grab the hand of, of someone and, and just says, come, let's, let's pray together. I need you to help me. Some today that need to come and ask you to forgive them of their sin so that they can be saved. Some that, that need the strength and the guidance of your spirit to go and give forgiveness or to seek forgiveness. Some today, Lord God, who just need to come and ask you to enable them to live out what you've commanded in this word so that they can be free, so that they can live the life that is blessed, that is hopeful and helpful. So God, as we acknowledge you in our song, would you now hear the prayers of those who come and ask in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.